Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is the Dynasty Happy Hour Podcast Network. Welcome back to Fantasy Insanity. Hi, I'm John Bosch. Uh, tonight, I have Nathan Powell joining me. Nathan, how are you doing? What's up, John? Happy to be on the program. Yeah, I appreciate you, I appreciate you joining me. Um, caught wind of a pretty fun league that you just started that you're here to talk about tonight. Uh, obviously, before that, we're going to we'll go over just kind of like how you play, how you started playing fantasy football and where you've gone and why you're, uh, I guess, kind of insane at this point, too, now. Um, but, uh, before we get into that, just in case somebody lives under a rock and hasn't found you yet, where can they, where can they find you, hear you, read you, all that stuff? You can find me on the Twitters at NPowellFF. You can find my writing at DLF, at Rotoballer, and at Rotoviz, and my podcast, uh, the Dynasty Tradecast with Eric Burtzlaff and Dan Senio, uh, that comes out Monday mornings, uh, on Rotoviz Radio, so it's always a good listen. Uh, in my opinion, you know, because I'm on it. So uh, that's how, that's always good. So, yeah, find me on the Twitter. It's FF, and pretty much I tweet, retweet all the work that I do that comes from there. Yeah, it, it is a good listen. I can attest to that. I, I'm glad to know it's Monday mornings. That's why sometimes I have to go back for it in the Rotoviz feed. I miss, I miss the individual feed from you guys so that I didn't have to do the backtrack. But trust me, people, it's actually worth it. Like, even if it doesn't say there's a brand-new show on Rotoviz, I know I can go back when I don't work on a Monday. So it's worth actually going back and listening to something that looks like an old episode. Rotoviz has a bunch of shows. It's in there. It's a good listen. So. I appreciate that, John. Yeah, yeah. I think that's <laughs> one of the main uh, complaints we've gotten since switching over. We're like, well, you know, got to get paid someday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I don't begrudge you guys. I was happy for you guys when you got it. It's pretty cool. Like uh, they picked you up and added you. It's, it's awesome. So uh, you guys do good work. It's it's a fun listen. You guys are entertaining. Even you know you're informative, obviously, but uh, you guys bring an entertainment factor that's we'll call it unique. <laughs> I think is a is a good way to put it. So uh, not a lot of people out there share that same entertainment factor. Yeah, it's certainly what we're aiming for. We're not trying to be data nerds or film junkies. We're we're trying to just bring an entertaining product that informs people. Yep. Yep, and you you guys all clearly like to just talk about fantasy football, and that that shines through. So you can always tell when it's just people talking about fantasy football and push record, essentially, (laughs) and it usually turns out to be something pretty fun. So, um, well, when did you, obviously, before you had, uh, before you joined that podcast, you had to start out as a player. When did you start playing fantasy football? I started playing fantasy football. I can't remember the exact year. It was probably 2003, 2004. It was the year after Sean Alexander had his big year. I I remember this because uh, I had like the fourth overall pick in my uh, first ever fantasy league as a redraft league on ESPN with a bunch of, you know, no names or not no names, which people I didn't know. 
and so I, I picked Sean Alexander, and he uh, busted in spectacular fashion by getting injured. So that's how I remember that. Uh, it was a, a fun first pick that didn't end up going well at all. But I, actually, dating back a little further, uh, the way I you know got introduced to fantasy was my, my dad was in his like his home league. And like uh, you know, I, I'd try and help him make line of decisions, and he'd say, "Oh, I'm not going to listen to you." And then he'd be like, "Oh, wait, maybe maybe I should listen to you because I'm, I'm making the wrong decision." So uh, it kind of dates back to my dad's uh, fantasy league. But my my first fantasy league was Sean Alexander busting in spectacular fashion. Ah, uh, Sean Alexander, that's a that's a fun name. I remember him like when he didn't bust. I think I had already been playing for a few years, and he grew up around here. Uh, he went to high school at a high school just a few towns over, and so. Like, he was a huge name. He always got overdrafted in our leagues. And uh, I don't remember who would have had him in that year, but I'm sure whoever it was definitely regretted it. So uh, so you started with redraft. Obviously, that's where that's where the majority of people start. When did you decide to go a little bit further into fantasy football and, you know, take, test, your, test your knowledge in a little bit more in-depth leagues? It was at the same time that I began writing in the fantasy ball industry. Uh, basically, I, I had a Twitter account that was just me, uh, you know, just sending random tweets. And I and I had, you know, followed some fantasy writers, Benny Carter, um, uh, some some guys at Dynasty Football Warehouse, and they uh, posted that they were looking for writers. And I was a uh, mass com major at USF St. Petersburg at the time. And I was like, hey, like, you know, I, I'd like to start, you know, getting some sort of a writing portfolio to try and enhance my, you know, possibility of having a career in this industry. So uh, I basically said, sent them an email. Hey, I want to write for you. And they said, oh, send us a sample. Here's a sample. Oh, this is really good. You know, you should write for us. So at that time, I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. And then I kind of got introduced to what exactly Dynasty was. This is about five years ago. And so uh, I just, you know, became addicted to it from day one. You know, I joined a couple of Dynasty Leagues. I was like, a couple's not enough. I need 10, 20. And then, you know, so it, it's kind of just snowballed from there. Uh, you know, I, I only play in one redraft league. You know, I played tons of dynasty leagues. So it, it's definitely, uh, you know, closer to an addiction than more just a hobby. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's a common thread with everybody that comes on here. Once they've, once they've tested out a dynasty league, uh, if they like it, it is it takes over. I'm, I'll be down to one redraft this year as well. It's just going to be the first league I was ever in. I'll never leave that league just because, you know, it's nostalgic. But uh, I like right now, like, I mean, we've talked trades. You talk trades all the time. There's chats about football right now constantly. It's football, football, football. And you just don't get that in redraft. So uh, so when did, when did you actually decide, like, that you wanted to start running leagues and commission leagues? Uh, this dates back to pretty much my time talking with Ryan McDowell. Uh, he is my, you know, commish dad in, in ways where I, I, I would, I would see him, you know, creating league ideas, different formats. And I'd be like, Hey, like I want to play in different types of league formats. So a, I joined his leagues and then B, mm-hmm. I started coming up with some of my own ideas, like, uh, some Debbie auction leagues or some best ball leagues. And it, it's more of, instead of waiting around saying, Oh, when is someone going to start a best ball league? I'm like, no, I'm going to start two or three dynasty best ball leagues. That's more of the, you know just taking the bull by the horns and instead of waiting for someone else to do it, I you know took the initiative, found the owners, and you know just made the league. So that's kind of how it's been with my you know experience commissioning. I, I started with one or two, and, and it's like with my dynasty. My dynasty commissioning has snowballed quickly to go from one or two to like seven or eight. <laughs> so oh, wow. it, yeah, no, it, it can it can uh, definitely add up pretty quickly. Yeah, um, 
And like, I, I, lo- I love your comment about Ryan. That's great. I always say when I grow up, I want to be Ryan or Scott. Like, <laughs> uh, I- I'm pretty sure I'm right in their same age range, but still, when I grow up in my, in my fantasy football age, uh, my, my life in fantasy football, I, I want to be them. I want to run leagues the way they run leagues and they set an amazing example. So, all right. So uh, with, with commissioning those leagues, obviously it's something that you do enjoy. Are, are there any particular facets that you like it? Is it just the league creation? Is it not having to worry about somebody else being in control of the league? Uh, you know, what, what, what is it that you like about commissioning? I think part of it is just the, like the control freak aspect. I don't have to worry about, is the commission, you know, collecting all the league fees? Is the commission updating the MFL site? I know, while it's a pain for me to know that all that's my responsibility, I just know that I'm going to do it and I don't have to worry about someone else to do it. And then the other part of it is that when I'm creating my bylaws for the first time for a league, it's like a blank canvas and I can add tight end premium, I can add super flex, I can paint the painting however I want to. And that's just, you know, having all that control is what I like about being commissioned. You, you can just create whatever league you want and how you want to create it. I, I love that you say it's like a blank canvas because it is. It's, it's like to, to some people putting together bylaws is like an art. <laughs> uh, it really is. And in reading, like I read other people's bylaws, obviously for the show, like I, I, re- I read up on the league we're going to talk about tonight. And as I'm reading it, I'm just, I enjoy reading other people's bylaws. I shouldn't, but uh, there's something twisted in my brain that, makes me enjoy reading them and seeing the detail people put in and seeing if there's things I can steal so that I can put it in the leagues that I run. So it, it's, I'm glad that that's where, glad that's where he went that, you know, the canvas. I like that idea. So uh, before we get more into the league that we're going to talk about, is there any, any part of commissioning that you could do without? I league turnover is always, I mean, it, part of, part of it is exciting. Oh, trying to find a new owner to implement, to put in the league and create, you know, more trades and a dispersal auction or a dispersal draft. That part's exciting, but it, it's, it, I don't know. I don't I'll say I like to take offense to it, but it's just a bit frustrating when I, you know, get two or three DMS about a league and like, Oh, I'm leaving. Oh, I'm leaving. And it, it's not that I'm saying, Oh, that like they're, they're not good enough for my league or no, that the league's not good enough for them. I know that people leave leagues for a variety of reasons, but it's just a little bit frustrating. I, I, in, in the perfect world, I'd like my 12 owners or my, or my 14 owners to stay the same each year and build that continuity between owners. Yeah, that is – it is tough. Well, like you said, it does it does tend to bring an excitement factor when you do get a little bit of a turnover. It does put a little burner on the commissioner to, to do that work. But uh, once, once it happens, it ends up – it ends up kind of end up being fun. And I don't know. I always hope for the same thing that my leagues will never have any turnover, but – Every time I do have one, I just look at it as, all right, the next person in is going to be the person that's here permanently. So, so you're lying right, to yourself. Well, <laughs> yeah, obviously. <laughs> obviously, obviously. Uh, I finally had to, I finally left one league uh, that, I mean, it was the commissioner stepped away. So it wasn't like I was really leaving. I just chose not to continue on when the league changed uh, ownership, but, uh, or leadership, which, you know, it was just the time. It, have you had the? Have you stepped away from leagues yet? Have you? Have uh, you yeah, it so rapidly. Yeah, I, I have uh, left a couple of leagues, and a couple of leagues that have folded, and that, that's just the nature of, of the business. And most of the time, when I, when I'm leaving a league, it's never because my team is bad. It's more of a just there's not enough. You know, I'm not saying that every league has to have you know 100 trades per off season, but there needs to be some action involved to keep me interested. 
And then, obviously, the, the commission has to be active. He can't be rolling over the MFL league in the middle of April. That's just not going to, you know, create an active dynasty league. So, uh, for me, it, it's all about when it's not me doing the commission, the only reason I'd really leave the league is if the commission isn't doing their job properly. Yeah, and now that, uh, you know, we're in Pigs 1 together, we and I, I believe you're in some other leagues of Scots, and uh, we're spoiled. <laughs> like, we, we are so unbelievably spoiled with the activity level and – the commission leadership that if we, we see like for me, when I like that, unfortunately that sets a bar that's just extremely high. Uh, but Oh, well, I'll only join leagues that are going to be fun. I don't, I, hopefully I'm not, I'm not joining anymore. Right. I'm not, I'm done. I'm done joining <laughs> leagues. Right. They all say, yeah. Yeah. I'll just keep lying to myself over and over throughout this whole podcast tonight. So, all right, well um, let's get into the league a little bit. Uh, the, <laughs> I'd love to give the name of it but it is a league with no name. So I, I can't really say that. So we'll just kind of describe it, in, unless there's a story behind why it's the league with no name or if it's just unnamed yet. Well, the reason why it is the league with no name is because I came up with a genius idea for this league, and we'll, t- we'll go in depth <laughs> about how I'm a genius. But I just couldn't pinpoint on a name. There, there are so many great names for dynasty leagues like Capitalist Pegs, like Kitchen Sink, like some of my other leagues, like MFL 10 That Never Ends. But for some reason, I just couldn't pinpoint a name for this for this format. So I, I expected either Twitter or someone in the league to come up with something creative, and no one did. I sent like four different emails to the league, come up with a name, and they didn't come up with a name. So guess what? It's the league with no name. And so, I mean, honestly, I think that's a decent name. It It is not a name, but it is a name in, in, the, in that regard as well. It's going to end up picking up like Cache being the league with no name, and then it's going to be hard to change from that. Uh, even if you do get a creative suggestion from somebody, it, at some point it's just going to become the league with no name will be the name, just and it'll be tough to change that. Um, all right, so so let's get in it. Um, what what? <laughs> I guess the the basic description is that you it's still it's dynasty league, obviously that is based somewhat in the players' conference college conference affiliation. So. Where exactly did this idea come from at first? Like, what, what made you think of this? It, what made me think of this, and this idea actually dates back to last offseason, I thought about how cool would it be if you were the NFC East and you had Odell Beckham, Jordan Matthews, and, uh, you know, whoever it may be. And so I, I was just like, oh, that would be a really cool concept to, you know, just have an entire uh, division or conference our division. And then that kind of uh, uh, tailspin into how cool would it be to own all the SEC with AJ Green and Mike Evans and Julio Jones. And so it, when, when, when I put it together, just initially, it's like, okay, there are six NFL divisions. I mean, no, there, there are eight NFL divisions. There are five major college conferences. And then you can just make the field be one college conference with all of the non power five schools so that's kind of how it, uh, you know, was created. And the one thing that I uh, just be one of the more simple parts of, of this league that I love is that my favorite amount of teams for a league is 14. Uh, Capitals Pigs is 28, but it's basically two 14 yeah. team leagues. Uh, I think that 14 is the the perfect blend of it's not shallow enough that like you can build a super team in two years in a 12 team league. And it's not deep enough to where in a 16 team league, if you have a bad startup, it's really not possible to, you know, rebound without, you know, having like a five, six year rebuild in a 16 team league. Yeah. I'm right there with you with 14. That's my favorite. Uh, plus MFL happens to be $70 and 
it works out real nice for everybody to pay a part of the league fee and math math works out for 14 and you're right it isn't like for me i like super flex this is not super flex but super flex is my preferred and that makes 28 quarterbacks which makes quarterback extremely valuable all of a sudden when you realize that somebody's might somebody might be trying to start like the quarterback 26 on a weekly basis and that just ends up being gross so you're at 14 is that is the ideal number i like I like no I like leagues set up on that multiple of 14 as well. Um so you you came up with this idea. Did you did you reach out to other people first or did you try and finalize as much as you could before you reached out to people? For when I was writing up the bylaws, I was bouncing the ideas off of Ryan McDowell and Scott Fish of okay, here what what am I thinking of wrong here? What could be different here? And so I, I wrote up the bylaws and then I tweeted them out and I said Hey, who's interested here? And I really didn't get much interest. I, you know, it's one of those, I retweeted myself like a million times over a month span. And I only got like four people that said, okay, I'm interested in it. So I was like, you know what? This, this idea may just be too complex. People are just, you know, kind of afraid of how complex it is. They're just trying to, you know, not dive into this type of concept. So I shelved it. I was just like, you know what? Uh, it's a really cool idea. Maybe I can do it in the future, but it just wasn't going to happen in 2016. Um, but in 2017, it, it's one of those things where you have an idea and you really want to make it happen. And I'm like, hey, remember that idea I had 12 months ago? <laughs> Let's try and do it again. And I got a little bit more interest this time, uh, you know, obviously enough to fill the league. So, uh, and it, it still took some prodding of, you know, retweeting myself a million times to even fill that 14. So it, it, was, it was only a matter of just me trying, the, the, using the conviction enough to, you know, fill the league. And that, that, that was harder than I have with other leagues that I filled, you know, usually in a more standard league or even a best ball league, it's a lot easier to find people that are willing to commit to it. But in a league with so many different rules and just such a, you know, a different format than normal, it's harder to get people to commit. Yeah. uh, I I find myself explaining my leagues to people a lot uh, to, to get them to commit. And even after they've committed, even in the middle of an auction, I still find myself explaining things. Um, have you run into that? Have you run into that? You guys just finished your startup. Uh, did you Did you run into that because of the complexity of it? Yes, uh, there wasn't just me explaining rules to people. That that obviously I knew that was going to happen, but there was also questions that were being brought up that I hadn't even thought about. Like one example <laughs> was uh, we had a rule of no free agents being allowed to be nominated, and so someone brought up the oh, can I nominate Isaiah Crowell because he's a restricted free agent? Mm-hmm. So I had to make that decision on the go during the auction because I hadn't thought about it beforehand. And so it, when you have a league this crazy and with this many, uh, you know, this diverse of a, a rule book, it's important to have people that are okay with the, the commission just making a decision on the fly because it's not like I can, you know, have a, you know, a poll and have people answer, should Isaiah Crowell and RFAs be available in this auction? Because uh, just to give a better layout, we haven't exactly explained it, the concept per se, but the, in the auction itself, it is uh, you are either a division or an uh, NFL division or a college conference, and you're only able to bid on those players. So each player, so Des Bryant was able to be bid on by the Big 12 because he went to Oklahoma State, and he was able to be bid on by NFC East. Those were the only two teams that were allowed to bid on Des Bryant. And so because of how that was laid out, it's important to know uh, obviously free agency doesn't work because I mean, I, we, I actually laid out the option beforehand. We could just say free agents are whoever their prior team was, because obviously we're doing this in the middle of free agency. So some guys haven't signed Adrian Peterson, Ball Charles, Isaiah Crowell is an RFA. 
So uh, we, we just laid out the rule that if a player signs during the startup, then they're, they're eligible to be nominated by their new division or their college conference. Um, but for those that hadn't been nom- or hadn't been signed, they just weren't going to be available in the startup. They'd be put into the rookie slash free agent option. So uh, that was the rule that we implemented there, uh, and that's how that went. Yeah, it's it's tough when you're doing something that's got no like no no basis. Uh, it's completely completely brand new, and it's the only way it works is if you have owners that join a league knowing the commissioner might have to make a call and. That goes back to, hey, don't play with commissioners you don't trust. And if you're a commissioner, don't bring in owners that you don't think are flexible enough to trust you. So that's, uh, that is definitely a key. I've, <laughs> I've had to make some interesting calls in leagues uh, where people outthink me. I mean, like, I can't think of everything. And you can have owners look at bylaws all you want. And all of a sudden, then an idea pops up three months later. And you have to, you just have to be flexible with it. So um, let, let's get in, uh, let's, let's talk about the auction and I'm curious kind of how it went. What, what kind of things did you auction off? Was it just players? Did you auction off all of the future, you know, future like rookie money? Uh, what, what was available in the startup auction for people? And the startup auction was, uh, all of the players who were currently on NFL teams and, uh, in the rookie auction format, there's the one one is worth $320. The uh, 102 is worth 295, 103, 270, so on and so forth. So all of those, uh, you know, dollar amounts were auctioned off just like a player would be. And it's the unique part about this format is that all the players obviously could only be bid on by two teams, but the rookie money could be bid on by any team. And then the, 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 the other wrinkle part of it is that obviously the NFL divisions, they don't know which rookies are coming in to the 2017 class that they'll be able to bid on. NFC East doesn't know whether they'll have Corey Davis yeah. or just some Alge P. Ryan or whoever it may be. So they could be bidding on rookie money and then end up having to trade it because they don't want any of the, the players available. So that was an interesting wrinkle. The, the, obviously, the college conferences, like the field, was trying to bid on rookie money because they wanted Corey Davis. The Big 12 was bidding on rookie money for Samaje P. Ryan, D.D. Westbrook, um, Joe Mixon. So uh, that was an interesting wrinkle with how the rookie dollars were, were bid on uh, during the startup auction. Yeah, so I skipped a step. I'm I'm a great host. What can I say? Um, we we should go back and before obviously the startup auction, people had to know what they could bid on. So if there's 14, you know, 14 owners and there's 14 sections or whatever, um, how did you guys determine who gets what? Because <laughs> uh, clearly there's some college conferences that would give you a seemingly an advantage. I don't know. I haven't. St- I didn't sit down. I'll ask you uh, at the at some point during this interview. But how did you determine um, how to choose who gets the AFC West and who gets you know the Pac-12? Who gets who gets every piece? So this wasn't the most fair way of going about it, and I I kind of thought that there were probably more fun ways to do it. Like I, I thought about like maybe uh, doing like a a March Madness tournament to determine like the draft order for the draft. But basically, we did the random generator uh, did a draft order. And, you know, so obviously there was no, you know, uh, skill involved in this, but, uh, you know, the guy who the first pick got the first pick and they had the pick of the litter of the 14 different uh, choices and the guy with the 14th pick just got what he got. So it's not the most fair, but it it was the the most expedient way of going about it where, okay, here's a draft order. You can draft which division or which conference you want and and go from there. So uh, going back, uh, I, I thought that, there wasn't too big of a difference between the top guy, which was the top uh, thing selected was the NFC South 
and the bottom, which was the Big 12, uh, going off 14 overall. Uh, and so I think that there, there should have been more of a way to reward the guy who got you know stuck with the 14th because the Big 12 was did have a little bit less to pick from than the NFC South. But in the end, I don't think it was too big of a deal because I think that the teams are fairly even across the board. So what was your – you've already picked your division, so now you can divulge it if, you know, or I guess if it's protected for some reason, you don't have to. But what was your strategy in what, – what pick did you have and what was your strategy in picking your affiliation? I, I uh, drew the ninth pick, and so – I had a little slimmer pickings. A <laughs> little, little bit of slimmer pickings, and it, it was more of I just, you know, made a simple, like, uh, you know, the, the notes section on your phone. I, I just – Obviously, I didn't do it to begin with. Uh, with you know, I knew there was going to be certain ones that I wouldn't have the choice of. I knew I wasn't going to be able to select the SEC. I knew I wasn't going to be able to select, select the NFC East. So once I was two or three picks away, I started just making like rankings of the available divisions and conferences left by just you know listing the top players. So I, I looked at like the AFC West. The AFC West had you know uh, Keenan Allen. They have Demarius Thomas, Emmanuel Sanders, uh, you know Spencer Ware, Travis Kelsey. And basically, I was looking at the top players from each, you know, conference or division, and saying, "Okay, this is this is the best to go after. This will give me the, the most choices to be able to, you know, create a startup team." So, uh, the team I the team I ended up going with was the AFC East at, at pick nine. I was sniped on the AFC West. I wanted to be able to, you know, try and collect some Keenan Allen's and Melvin Gordon, but that wasn't the case. And I went so the the the, pit, the two I was you know narrowed down to was the AFC East, and the way I looked at it was. That's what it was. It was A.J. Green, Antonio Brown, Eifert. So that was the comparison. Cooks, Watkins, and Gronk versus A.B. Uh, and uh, and Eifert. So uh, pretty much I just went with the younger guys with with Cooks and Sammy because I'm a, I'm a, you know, a youth chaser. So that's, <laughs> that's what I went with. Uh, it, if Cooks hadn't been traded like you know, a week before the, this happened, I would have easily gone with the AFC North over the AFC East. Yeah, so the, the now the player affiliation is only for the times when you're auctioning. Because uh, like you said, you know, Brandon Cooks got traded. So obviously once a guy is on your team, he's on your team and it doesn't matter anymore, right? Correct. Uh, the affiliations are only uh, for the startup auction and for rookie auctions. Um, and to compare this to a league that I was in that, that had folded, it was a boys to men league where half the league owned all the players over 27, half the league owned all the players under 27, basically. And so the, what that created was that there was just wasn't much trade action because all the guys who could trade were only trading with players who had similar assets. Whereas in a dynasty league, more often than not, it's a young player being traded for an older player. And that there just wasn't enough action in the league, and it was, there was too much. Uh, uh, there, there wasn't enough parity in the league. The young, the young side was much superior because just the the age table wasn't right. But in this league, uh, the, I made sure to be able to allow trading between. I wasn't going to force it to NFC East team only has to have or can only have uh, NFC East players because that would mean that literally you only can trade for NFC East players. I want to uh, allow for a lot of trade action to happen and the to keep the the semblance of the league and the idea of the league, really all you really need is the startup auction and the, and the rookie auction. I don't need to have 24 players from the same division, but if you have your startup and rookie auctions as the main source of your players, then you're going to have a majority of the same conference or same division that you're affiliated to. So, so what did you see in the picking of the affiliations? Uh, did people go with NFL just because maybe they have a better knowledge base of the players in the NFL right now, or did people – 
uh, look at colleges and did did anybody provide like a a spreadsheet of okay here's every single player from the SEC that's now in the NFL or is that some hey do that research on your own? Yeah, there there was some banter back and forth uh, before the startup auction where the guy was like, yeah, I spent like three hours last night making. Uh, a, a list of all the players and, and their affiliations, but I'm not going to share it with you guys <laughs> just because he was a jerk. <laughs> just kidding. But um, yeah, no, nobody shared any of that kind of info. Pretty much everyone kept it close to the vest and you know, it, it's more of you just focus on what, what you could do. It, it was a lot easier from the NFL side. Cause I could just think, okay, I can only bid on Patriots, Bills, Dolphins and Jets. Um, but, but if I had picked a college conference, obviously I would have gone through and, you know, just listed all the players and uh, that, that I would have been able to pick. And it, pretty much everyone did that, I, I'd assume, because there, there wasn't too many, like, missed nominations where, like, the ACC nominated a Big Ten player. Yeah, I would assume that if you went with a college affiliation, you had a really tight list of the guys you were going after. Um, what do you do with a player like Russell Wilson, who has a couple of college affiliations? Uh, the, the rule we set, this was another one where we, we kind of had to set it mid auction. Russell Wilson, not as much because he, the last school he went to is the last school he played at. But the one that was up for debate was Doriel Green Beckham because his last, uh, his last school he played for was Missouri. And that would be an SEC affiliation, but he did attend Missouri, which would be an SEC of, uh, or he did attend, uh, Oak, wait, other way around Missouri SEC. Oklahoma Big 12, and so people were wondering w- where to place him. And fortunately, Doriel Greenbeckham isn't any good, so it didn't, <laughs> didn't cause too much of a brouhaha. But uh, basically, I made the call that the rule will be the player uh, where the player last suited up in uniform, not where they last uh, were a player, I guess. Yeah, I think that's per- I think that works out pretty well then because that's where he played, you know, attended after playing. Uh, probably not quite as important, so. I like that rule. That's good. Um, in the now, uh, in the landscape we now have in college sports, obviously schools flip everywhere, like constant change. I'm a Bearcat fan, and God, I hope they aren't in the AAC forever. Unfortunately, I think they will be. Um, but what do you do with colleges when they, you know, chase some money and switch a conference? Uh, the, the rule I said, this was actually something that I thought of in the bylaws, and it's basically at the time of the startup or rookie auction, where are they? And that's the affiliation. So, for example, if uh, Cincinnati were to move from the AAC to the Big 12, then in next year's rookie auction, the Cincinnati players would be Big 12 uh, rather than, uh, you know, being in the AAC or the field as it would be. So uh, it's basically at the time of the auction, where is the school? And that that's and it's not okay. Hey, the player was in was in the field when they went to school, and now the player and now the school is there. It's where the school is at currently, not not where the school was when the player was playing, because that that's just too hard to keep track of. Yeah, that would be <laughs> that would be extremely challenging. So basically, every single player, like you said, only two people, only two people can bid on every player. So every you know exactly who you're going up against, who you're being bidding against. Um, did that create any kind of a unique dynamic? And also, was there any concern that people would just say, um, okay, I mean, like, where you could clearly sit, clearly you'd be able to see if people weren't bidding on a player to what their value should be. But with only two people being able to bid on a guy, you know, hey, 
you don't bid on Sammy Watkins and I won't bid on, uh, I can't think of another guy right off the top of my head that would match his profile. But do you know what I'm saying? Like where two guys could just avoid each other and both get a benefit then? Yeah, that, that came up uh, with like uh, NFC South and F- SEC were bidding against each other. And they were basically wondering like, hey, can I tell NFC South stop bidding on Mike Evans and I'll stop bidding on Julio? And I was like, no, uh, for the sake of this league, there, there can't be any sort of collusion like that. But there's clear collusion where Mike Evans and Julio both go off the board for $10. Yeah. And there's not so clear collusion where Mike Evans is at 91, Julio's at 87. And then they both tell each other privately, hey, let go of Mike and I'll let go of Julio. So basically that's what I said is like, don't collude. But if it's not obvious, then, you know, there's no, there's no way we can really monitor it. That's basically what I told him. Yeah. And I mean, in any auction that you run that risk, I mean, if, even if it's not even collusive, uh, I mean, there's plenty of times where, like, I won't bid a guy up if I'm in an auction because I kind of hope that, hey, if I don't bid this guy's player up and he wins it and he's not going to come back and bid my guy up right after that. Um, and then, of course, the <laughs> the reverse is true, that if somebody bids up my guy right at the end and he's got a player that's coming up of similar value, I'm probably going to switch over and flip-flop right to them. Um, what was there anything like that where, a guy, you know, two guys were really fighting over one was there were there any bidding wars that seemingly got uh, out of control because it was just two guys and you knew, like you knew the list of who else this guy had to, could could possibly get. I think that the the main uh, thing that came out of something like that would be uh, two of the divisions or conferences that didn't have such a clear you know list of studs like the NFC South or, or like the SEC. So, for, for example, uh, AFC East and uh, Pac-12, uh, we were battling for Brandon Cooks and Rob Gronkowski. Those are clearly the uh, two of the top assets both those divisions and conferences can bid on. And so I kind of knew that I wasn't going to be able to get both Cooks and Gronk because it would because both of us are going hard after both of those guys. So basically I, I went hard after Cooks and I, you know, bid Gronk to my absolute max number, but – uh, after it was at that number, I'm like, okay, I'm not going to just go any further because then he'll come back after Cooks. Yeah, and so with this um, with this league, like you said, it's it's not Debbie. You state that very clearly in the bylaws. Like it's like bolded. This is not a Debbie league, but at the same time, you still get a lot of college in this league. Um, was that you know you're a big Debbie player. Do you miss having – would you prefer to have the Debbie in it, or does this give you enough of that Debbie feeling uh, – that Debbie feeling, that could be a song. Um, <laughs> does it give you enough of that Debbie feeling just having this much college influence in your fantasy league? If it was if – I, if I saw a way for it to be a Debbie league, I, I would have done it. But obviously, if you're an NFL division, you can't bid on Debbie players because you don't know – what players are going to be available to you, you know, come rookie draft or come the Debbie auction. So uh, it basically the reason why I, I clearly state this is not a Debbie league, because when someone sees, oh, uh, you know, Big 12, and then, and then they'll think, oh, well, I can go, you know, get this player that's in the Big 12 right now and isn't in the NFL yet. So it was more of just, you know, it, it may seem like, okay, I'm Big 12, so I can get a college player. That's not what it is. It's your Big 12, so you can get college players that are currently in the NFL. So can you change your affiliation as, you know, you're a big Debbie guy. So say you see just a great class, you know, two years out in a conference. Right now you have the AFC East. 
uh, can you try and acquire a conference affiliation? How do you, how do you, or are you stuck with the AFC East forever? No, I am not stuck with the AFC East forever. Uh, in the bylaws, I made a rule where uh, when MFL roll, rolls over each year, which is usually the first or second week of February, any, everyone has the right to try and negotiate, to try and trade their affiliation. And this is one part that I kind of thought about afterwards, which is a little bit harder to, to track officially. But the rule I made was you're allowed to trade affiliations, but you, you have to swap all players with said affiliation with that swap. But theoretically, someone could do that. They could trade the AFC East for the ACC but then and trade all the players involved. But then like two weeks later, you can make a trade where you swap all the players you didn't actually want to swap. So uh, it'll be interesting to see in, in future years if that happens, if someone makes a swap and swaps all the players and then chooses, okay, actually I didn't want to swap all those players. Because I'm, I'm not going to stop them from doing that because you know, you're allowed to trade for whatever players you want. But I, I kind of just wanted to keep it in the vein of if you are the AFC East, I want you to have mostly AFC East players. If you're the ACC, I want you to have mostly ACC players. So I didn't want someone saying, okay, I'm going to swap conferences or divisions, but I'm not actually going to have any of the same players other than the ones that are coming in the rookie auction. All right, so um, obviously you're a big trader. Uh, that That is your brand, Trading Nathan. Drunk Trading Nathan, even better. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, what kind of trades did you guys – you know, could, could people buy a player and then immediately trade him to another team that doesn't have that affiliation? Could people could people say, hey, bid this player, buy this player for me, and I will trade this guy that you wanted for my affiliation? Was that allowed, and did it happen during the startup? Well, I didn't allow trading of startup money, uh, mostly because it's a pain for me. Uh, I, 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 <laughs> I commend, I commend uh, Ryan McDowell, who allows uh, trading of startup money, rookie money, and Debbie money during the startup. That must be a massive headache, especially when there's 48 teams. Uh, I'm only handling 14, and I didn't want to mess with that. So I said, you can trade rookie money as you, as you uh, win it in auctions. You can trade players as, as you win them in auctions. But there's no exchange of startup money. You're going to get your $400 to start the auction, and that's what you'll have to deal with. Uh, but as you win players and rookie money, th- those are free to trade. And early on in the auction, uh, the, the main takeaway I took away from the, you know, the, the trades that were happening were the trading of quarterbacks uh, with divisions and in uh, college conferences. Some college conferences are, you know, uh, have, are filled with talent. They, Aaron Rodgers, Marcus Mariota, uh, are in the same uh, uh, Pac-12 conference, and, and Andrew Luck as well. So that team was able to bid on, you know, the top quarterbacks and possibly trade them, and that's what they did. And I kind of found that there was a bit of a panic from teams that were in conference divisions that weren't exactly filled with quarterback talent. Uh, some of the quarterback trades that were made, Matt Ryan uh, was traded. It was Matt Ryan in the 203 for Demarius Thomas in the 313. Obviously, in most scenarios, Demarius Thomas isn't close to Matt Ryan in a one-quarterback league, so I was a bit surprised to see that trade go down. But in a general sense, it kind of makes sense if you are worried, okay, my my division or conference uh, just doesn't have a guy like Matt Ryan uh, that I can bid on, so I'll, I'll make this trade, and I don't necessarily like Thomas. So that that is the type of trade that went down. Um, another one, that, another quarterback trade, Marcus Mariota was traded for Randall Cobb in a 2018 first. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that, that was a huge uh, overpay from what I saw, but you know, it. If, your options, if you don't have any other option, though, like it. Mar- Mariota's Pac-12, but the, the team that traded for Mariota uh, was um, was Randall Cobb. I mean, was uh, the NFC North, uh, so that they could have uh, spent you know spent the money on Aaron Rodgers in the startup theoretically, but I guess they just want to nail down uh, getting that quarterback before Aaron Rodgers is off the board. 
And then the, then the last quarterback trade that has been made was the 109 for Matthew Stafford, the 109 in Sam Bradford for Matthew Stafford. So just another case of just trying to nail down that quarterback that, uh, and not having to deal with it uh, during the auction itself. Yeah, it's uh, I, in this kind of a setup, the quarterback will – that'll – you know, 14-team single quarterback, the quarterback doesn't carry a lot of importance. Um, but in this kind of a setup, <laughs> when you have a limited future at quarterback without having to overspend – uh, it's going to have importance. I, I like that. I like quarterbacks being important. Um, I, 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 that's why I play super flex. So um, that's interesting. That have you have there been any uh, position play? Not position. Uh, you know, running back, re- receiver, tight end. So the skill players. Have there been any trades involving any of them? Yes, there there has been. Uh, you know, there's been. Let's see. Uh, there's been 19 trades since the startup, and that was only <laughs> we we started. Uh, you know, a couple weeks ago. So. Uh, there, there's been plenty of trades, but n- nothing has really, you know, seemed out of the ordinary from a normal league. I, I guess the, the one thing that I, I do see is I feel like people are more willing to trade their guys because in a traditional startup, obviously you're going to, you know, bid and win on the guys that you want. But when you have such a limited, you know, pool of guys that you can bid on, you have to go out and if, even if I didn't like Brandon Cooks, I had to go out and win Brandon Cooks as the AFC East. If you're the Pac-12 and you don't necessarily love Gronk, you have to go out and try and win Gronk. So it's one of those things that, you know, people are just winning auctions because this is who I have available to me. I'm going to try and trade them later on. So I, I don't think that any guys have, you know, gone for extremely cheap on the running back or wide receiver side or even really the tight end. But it's more of just, okay, there's going to be a lot of trades made because people are winning guys that they don't necessarily love. Yeah, uh, that's that's an interesting aspect because I mean I like when I'm in an auction I'll bid on guys if I think it's the right value on them, but if it's a guy that I just don't like I really like I don't even care about the value. But your limited your limited supply really has to change the mentality. That's in, that's intriguing. I like that. Um, I'm just gonna keep saying I like that. I realize I've said that way too many times. All right, During this podcast, yeah, I'll, I'll just I'll just keep feeding Nathan's ego about this cool league that he created. No, it is cool. So, um, what, where do you see? Do you see any any pitfalls in this league uh, that you're worried about? Obviously, you said you you know bounced it off some of the best commissioners out there and setting up the rules. Do you see any any pitfalls? Any possible problems that you you know obviously that you just can't control? Anything that might happen? Well, there is the uh, the issue of, for example, to, to start off the auction, uh, Des Bryant was nominated early on, and with like probably an hour or two left on his nomination clock, he was at a dollar because the he was nominated or it was at, he was at two dollars because the Big Twelve team had nominated him, the NFC East team had bid on him, and then the Big Twelve team just hadn't gone back to it yet. I don't know oh, whether no. he just had. So we were all panicking, like, no, we can't let the <laughs> NFC East have Des for a dollar. And or two dollars, but even so, Des got went up to forty six, and arguably he should have been at like more sixty or seventy. And so that's another issue of if there's a if there's a player that you don't really like or a player that someone doesn't really like, they still kind of half are forced to bid them up higher because they don't want to get the guy, let the other guy get him for cheap, even if they're not they're not, they're not their favorite player. So that, that that's one of the issues. And then one of the other issues that popped up um, for the SEC, uh, he talked about how he kind of felt pressured into bidding guys up even if he didn't want them because, and then, then also that as well as saving money because he didn't want to blow his entire startup auction budget and then let 
the AFC West get Amari Cooper for a, a couple dollars or let, you know, just let any player. There's so many guys in the SEC available that it takes until the end of the startup for like Todd Gurley to get nominated. And so you have to save some money to make sure that, you know, other guys aren't getting studs for cheap. So uh, with the pitfall of having a really strong conference is that you have to, you know, just be aware of uh, the fact that there are so many guys that you have to make sure that you still have money left to bid on. And then looking into the future for rookie auctions, you know, in in a lot of my leagues, rookie auctions are heavily weighted towards, you know, you know, two or three teams have a lot of the money and then, you know, two or three teams don't have any money. And for example, and I think that this is where the the trade atmosphere is, is very important Let's say uh, Corey Davis goes to – I mean, this doesn't make any sense. But let's say Corey Davis goes to the Eagles, and the field has a bunch of rookie money. The NFC East has no rookie money. And there's no way of stopping the the uh, field team from getting Corey Davis for a dollar because NFC East has him for zero uh, – doesn't have any money to bid on him. So that is one of the pitfalls, and we'll see how that develops. But what I anticipate happening is that when the NFL – the NFL division sees that they can have Corey Davis. They'll go out and try and trade for rookie money to either a yeah. make sure that they bid up on the guy or B more importantly, they don't want to go win him, So they, they go trade for the money themselves. Yeah. And I could see other owners uh, like be, if they're paying attention, realizing that and approaching that NFC East owner. I mean like, uh, Hey, you realize that if you don't make a trade with me and get some of this money that you're giving Corey Davis away, uh, it's going to create some unique, some unique pressures, like you said, for people to to have to go out of their comfort zone and make moves that they might not have made because, like, if there is such a limited supply that they can bid on, you know, some people might just say, "Look, I don't like the class that's coming out of my affiliation, so I don't need any rookie money." Um, in which case, then that rookie money becomes almost worthless and pretty easy to acquire. But if there's two other people that are fighting over it. Uh, then it goes back up. I, I auctions are fun. Well, stuff like that. Budgets are fun because of the constant fluctuation of value, and everybody's going to value it differently in this particular league because they're bidding on different players. Like to some people, the rookie money is priceless, and the others, the rookie money is going to end up being maybe possibly worthless. Right? To an extent, I think that the fact that the NFL division it'll be a, it'll be a, it'll be a trade asset for yeah. sure. Yeah. But yeah, exactly. It, it, it's the difference between whether it's an asset you'll actually be able to use, or whether it's a trade asset that you, you'll have to get rid of if if no one gets drafted in the AFC East because the Pats don't have a first round pick, the Jets might not spend a pick on a position player. You know, these things happen. So I have some rookie money, and it might be valueless to me, but I can still approach the other NFL divisions that got ended up getting some players landing in, in their affiliation. So it's, it's all about just approaching the right guys with the trades, uh, whether you're the person selling or buying. Uh, the, 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 the trades after the NFL draft are going to be real interesting in this league. Uh, after guys actually have a landing spot, especially if there's, you know, some surprises. I mean, there are certain teams in, in, in the divisions right now that everybody expects, you know, this guy's going to take a running back. We don't know which running back but they're going to take a running back. So they're going to have money to target one of those stud running backs that's coming out. But, you know, if a guy ends up going to kind of a, kind of a little bit, uh, un, un, uh, a place not so, not so expected, uh, it could definitely create a nice little trade market all of a sudden where there's a flurry of a guy really trying to acquire some money so that he can make sure he buys them 
instead of letting that college guy that's already been that's already set his mind to him get him. Uh, could be fun. Yeah, that that trade market uh, is going to be so crucial, and that's why a lot of people talk about you know starting their rookie draft or rookie auction the day after the NFL draft, the week after the NFL <laughs> draft. You're going to have to think. <laughs> it, and I, I've already said, I told the league that it's going to make sense for uh, you know the league to draft maybe two, three, maybe even a month after, just so that trade market can develop and those trades can happen. Because if we drafted the day after, there just wouldn't be enough time for those negotiations to happen. Now, now you didn't allow auction dollars to be traded during the startup auction. Are auction dollars tradable during the rookie auction? Yes, uh, and uh, th- those are definitely ones that I-, I-, I always caution people in my auction leagues that I have that have rookie or Debbie auctions. It's don't make a trade for rookie auction money when you're trying to bid on a player that has like an hour clock left. There's no guarantee I'll be able to get on my phone and get onto MFL and, and switch up the money on MFL by then. So I pretty much say give me a three- to four-hour cushion. Don't try and make those last-second last, last second deals. I know that trade negotiations take some time some, uh, sometimes, but – it's more of just, you know, uh, it's what has to be done for the commissioner not to be glued on their phone 24-7, which while we love to for, for it to happen, uh, it's just not always the, the, the best thing for us. Yeah, or, or give your commissioner a heads up. Let them know, hey, I'm, I'm working on a trade. I'm, I'm trying to acquire some rookie money so that I can outbid this guy. At least then we're not caught off guard, even if it is, you know, with a few hours to go. It gives a little bit of a chance to adjust. Um I'm going to go back to an issue that uh, I thought was kind of interesting, price enforcement. There, uh, there are a lot of people not comfortable with it. Um, it's in a 14-team league, if there's 13 owners uh, bidding against one guy, usually you're going to find one or two that are completely fine with uh, price enforcing on a guy. Um, and you said you had one guy that was uncomfortable, and like you said, Dez got sold for cheap. But the money doesn't carry over anyways, right? Like this is not this is not a rolling budget. So if a guy gets a guy for cheap, all he does is get a guy for cheap, and he gets more guys, right? Correct. Yeah, there's no, it's not like a salary cap league or anything like that. It's okay. it's simply a four hundred dollar auction budget, and that that's all you get for that period. And then the rookie auction, that's all you get for the rookie auction and blind bid. It's not like Capitals Pigs where all the money's the same. All the money is completely different. So. Um, <laughs> while you were going through this auction, the did you? Did you take notes on any of the owner's habits for guys that maybe you would like to bid against in the future? And instead of changing your affiliation just based on the talent that's coming out, changing your affiliation based on who you who you might like to bid against the most? No, not no, really. I haven't, I haven't really thought that far ahead. Uh, the, the one thing that I was thinking about and pretty much everyone was thinking about in a traditional startup auction, it's very beneficial to throw out those top dollar guys because, you know, okay, I'm going to make sure uh, player X uh, gets sold for 25% of the auction budget, and that takes away one guy from bidding on those top guys. But in this format, it was beneficial to try and delay those top guys getting on the board as long as possible. So uh, Brandon Cooks didn't get on the board till like day three or four. Uh Throughout the entire startup auction, I didn't nominate a good player. I, I mean, like a great player. I, all the great players that I won were nominated by somebody else. I was trying to delay that as long as possible. My first four days of nominations were Brady, Tyrod Taylor, Ryan Tannehill, and uh, Josh McCown. So I, I was basically just throwing out a, as much chum as possible, just trying to get people to you know waste a couple of roster spots, waste a couple of dollars, and try and delay the inevitable of the later the player that got, got on the board – 
the cheaper they're going to be because if if I let's just talk about Brandon Cooks. If Pac-12 has already spent you know half his budget by the time I put Brandon Cooks on the board, I'm more likely to get Brandon Cooks cheaper. Uh, and so like Todd Gurley didn't go on the board until the SEC had very little money left, but he you know he max bid you know forty fifty dollars whatever it was. But there was the strategy of delaying your top guys being nominated as as long as possible. And some people were, you know, just trying to uh, go against that strategy by nominating the guys to, to make sure that money goes away. So so was there table talk in this uh, in, during this auction? Were there people that couldn't bid on a player uh, telling a guy, hey, look, like, don't miss this guy. Drive that price up. Was, was that pressure put on there? Yes. Uh, I mean, it, it happened with Dez big time because that was like the second day of the auction. And that, that's where the, the warning of, oh, uh, you know, this league could blow up. Well, it could have blown up on day two if Dez got sold for $2. <laughs> um, and there was definitely table talk of like Kelvin Benjamin was on the board for a dollar for like 23 hours. And that's probably legit. Yeah, exactly. So uh, there, there was table talk of like, oh, I wish I could build on Kelvin Benjamin. I wish I could bid on Dez. And so uh, there, there was that. And normally I'm a bit against table talk, but when it's table talk of, hey, don't let this guy go for a dollar, I was like, all right, I'll just let it slide. <laughs> so there was table talk, but it, it was nothing that was really harming. It was more of just trying to save the league as it was going on. Yeah. Uh, I, I, think, I think people would have to be able to urge others. I don't know that you could tell them not. To, I mean, you could tell them, but like, can you imagine if you're sitting there watching Des go for $2 and like trying to not send a, a message to this guy and just not like it would be impossible to hold your tongue, right? Like that that's just unrealistic at that point. Yeah, and on on like a similar uh uh, uh you know point, uh Corey Coleman was like the last major guy that was left on the auction board and I got like it was pretty much like Corey Coleman and guys that are going to be like the 20 through 24 on your roster. And so I was like, hey, uh, Big 12 and AFC North, uh, Corey Coleman is still on the board. Like, what are you guys doing? Because, <laughs> like, the, la- the later he goes on the board, you know, if, if AFC North and or AFC North or Big 12 run out of money, then Corey Coleman goes for a dollar. So as someone who I wanted Corey Coleman to be, you know, someone spending their money on him, I was like, hey, throw him out, throw him out. And, like, the, the guy in the Big 12 was like, hey, shut up. I, I, I want to I get it for cheaper. So – uh, that's kind of how that went. Where it's like there's the table talk of guys that are on the board, and also table talk of hey, let's get this guy on the board before, before people run out of money. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I, I I don't know. I've gone back and forth. I mean, obviously we're in pigs, and the table talk in there just I mean it's never ending, and it's I don't know. It's it seems to be encouraged even, but a lot of it ends up being strategy talk, and none of us actually know what we're doing in that league, anyways. Um, so it's not like anybody can take advice from other people, but, uh, yeah, uh, I don't know. Table talk, I think in this league probably got, you probably have to have it. <laughs> um, it would be impossible not to just, uh, yeah. So I think we've covered pretty much all the aspects of this league. Um, uh, one final point on it, uh, just that I like that you literally wrote it into your bylaws, uh, that I appreciate it. And since it was a trial, you put let's just try it for low stakes. Um, what was your what was your thought process behind that? And we don't talk about the actual value, but like you know, oh, I mean, it, it's the, the buy-in was twenty five dollars. I it, basically what I didn't want to do is I didn't want someone like the FCC or the NFC East to build a super team and then be really mad when you know that 
their super team doesn't end up, you know, winning 10 straight championships because if a super team like that, obviously super people talk about building super teams and how they want to have them. But in, in general, those are bad for dynasty leagues. No one wants to be in a dynasty league of the same teams winning every single year because there's, there's no parity there. So basically I, I, that was just a clause of, you know, let's, let's do it for cheap. And if, and if it, there's lots of parity in the league and there's, you know, pretty much even teams, then we can say, hey, let's put it up to 30, 40 bucks and, you know, make the MFL fee less, you know, uh, stringent on having like a third of the buy-in going to MFL. So, uh, but basically... Which we, 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 love you, we love you, MFL still. We still love you, MFL, but go on, oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Oh, I absolutely love MFL. Uh, <laughs> but the, the benefit of a higher stakes dynasty league is that less of the pot is going to MFL. Yeah, so. for sure. So it, it was more of basically if if anything crazy happens, don't be mad if it folds. And people are hearing me less mad if a $25 league folds as opposed to if they think, oh, I'm going to have thousands coming in my bank account every year because of this league. Yeah, I, I like that one. You're testing out something new to do it for low stakes because you can always raise an entry fee uh, if everybody wants to. But, man, in something like this, it's really hard to say, okay, maybe we're paying too much and you're scaring people away. At a price point, it's, it, I, I think it would be almost impossible to lower a league fee because people have invested, uh, you know, a higher amount planning for the future. And then maybe they're, you know, that you can't go backwards. So starting low is, is, is a good way to go. Um, um, did you guys consider at all like making it, it, it maybe a set interval or something where everybody has to change an affiliation to prevent that kind of a superpower being built and saying, you know, maybe every, whatever, three, four years, you have to change your affiliation. And the person that owns the SEC doesn't get them anymore. And you just do another randomized draw or you base it on or, you know, order a finish over the – or victory points is what you use. Victory points over four years. And if you were the worst, then all of a sudden you get to choose which conference you want to base your team around. Was there any discussion of that? No. I mean, honestly, that's kind of an interesting idea. Uh, but it's not something that we thought I thought of or anyone else has – even brought up um, the, the the only real uh, thought after this after the you know the divisions and conferences were picked that maybe the the team that got the fourteenth option uh, should have had a scaled like interval of rookie money to start so the guy who got the first pick got the best the the, the best of the litter between the divisions and conferences let's say he gets a hundred dollars and the person who got the worst pick gets like three hundred twenty dollars to start or something of that nature if that had been brought to the table to me before we had done anything, I probably would have put it in there, but it's hard to do that once all the, the conferences have been picked and when you're yeah. in the middle of the auction. So uh, it's one of those things that uh, ideas are great, but they can't always be implemented uh, because it's just not fair to other owners. All right. Uh, I, I, I think we've covered it all in this league. Is there anything else you want to, anything else I missed on it or you want to touch on in it? Nope. Uh, just uh, people tweet me about how great I am as commission, you know, cause I am. Uh, and if you have ever have your own league ideas that you want to bounce off of me, because uh, uh, bouncing off of me, Ryan, Scott, I mean, I'm not going to put myself in that, you know, upper echelon of commissioners, but I always like talking league ideas. Uh, so anytime you want to bounce something off of me, I'm always glad to respond, you know, Twitter, DM, Voxer, any of those things are always great to talk, uh, you know, fantasy leagues, fantasy league rules. So I'm always down for it. And, um, it, you know, if we have any league openings, uh, then I'll, I'll post them on the Twitter. I'll have to pay attention to Twitter more. I don't, see, my problem is I don't I don't scroll the timeline as much as I probably should uh, because a lot of it is stuff that, I don't know, I don't really care about. Uh, so I stick to, like, just the chats that I'm in and stuff like that. But, 
All right, so we'll go out of the league a little bit now. We'll start with Twitter, actually. I'm always curious how other people uh, interact with, like, Twitter and Voxer. When you grab your phone, what's the order of things that you check? Do you go Twitter? Do you go Voxer? If you go Twitter, do you go notifications or do you go DMs? Or do you, do, or do you scroll the timeline? What's your order when you pick up your phone? Uh, I'd say that during an auction like this, or like, you know, during a startup auction, more often than not, it's Voxer, especially when I'm the commissioner, because usually in, in the you know league chat, if something's going awry. That that's where that's happening. No one's really like tweeting me about that. But like on a traditional no startups going on, I'm definitely scrolling through Twitter, uh, checking a couple of my favorite followers, just their timeline. I like reading. I mean, I, I know I've talked way too much about Ryan McDowell already, but I love just like <laughs> that's right. Ryan, Ryan gets praise on this podcast constantly, um, so it, it doesn't hurt to continue to praise him. But yeah, I, I like scrolling. The reason I started it, so <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I like scrolling through like his replies. So like you know, people will ask him trade questions, and just mm-hmm. getting what he thinks. Like obviously, I'm not going to ask him every single one of my trade questions, but if I see him replying to others and, and their trade questions then I get a better sense of, okay, what, who is he buying? Who is he selling right now? And uh, adjust my values accordingly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so with you, you also started last year. Last year you started the Tradecast League, and that was the league that you did completely ADP-based. Um, one, will there be a follow-up episode about that league? I hope so because I would like to hear it. And two, um, how, how did it, like, just, you know, Quickly, how did it go? Like, was there the flurry of trades that you were hoping for? Yeah, it's definitely a, f- a fun league that we, we did for the Listener League. It, it was one of those things where every podcast has a Listener League, and we didn't want to just be that Joe Schmo guy that, this, you know, has the same Listener League over and over. So, like, oh, let's make this unique. We're going to do it completely off ADP on the startup. And even in, in the rookie draft this year, we're doing it completely off ADP. So, Oh, really? Surprise. I didn't know that. So yeah. the rookie surprise, league. surprise. I had I – had, wow. Bad enough luck to be handed uh, a really bad team, uh, so I have the 101 this year. And so you're so, used to it. <laughs> you're right in your comfortable spot, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, very comfortable with the 101. But usually, I'm comfortable with the 101 and being able to choose who I take. But I have no control over it. Um, if Leonard Fournette is the 101, then I'll have Leonard Fournette. Mm-hmm. If Corey Davis is the 101, I'll have Corey Davis. So that's definitely a fun aspect. That um, obviously, requ- uh, like with, I mean, the 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 thing that's alike between those two leagues is you're ha- you're kind of handed a roster in a way where it forces you to make trades because you're not always getting the guys you like. So I, I like any any sort of rule that promotes more trading. Obviously, it's not the best thing to limit you know the players you can acquire, but that that's just one way of doing it. Can you trade the rookie picks in that? Yes, yes, you you can trade any any asset, and so I I can trade the one. Theoretically, I could trade the one hundred one for the one hundred two straight up if I think that my one hundred one is going to fall. <laughs> yeah, or I could just wait until the draft happens, uh, and you know it simulates, and then try and you know trade the player for player. So we'll see how that uh, shakes out. It'll be definitely be an interesting process. So, um, it, it is the rookie draft based on just the final ADP? I guess it would be like uh, like April ADP if you wait until after that to run, or uh, what? Which ADP do you use? Uh, the the one for the startup. I think we use whatever start, monthly startup, which I think was like May, uh, or maybe even later than that, maybe June or July. Uh, and then this one will be uh, the so the NFL draft is in late April, so it'll be the May ADP. The May ADP. So who's going to be hitting up Ryan to be to try and get some inside information on <laughs> who's the 101 and who's the 102 just so that they could try and make that trade in advance just in case? 
It, it wouldn't surprise me to see something like that happen. How, how many how many mock drafts are you signing up for for DLF to try and influence that that one on one for yourself? Well, well, we'll see. I might I might have to make make sure I get enough so that I can get Dalvin Cook. <laughs> so so is Dalvin Cook the guy that you want to see as the one on one then? At this point, yes, still, but I'm kind of losing hope on that. But still, <laughs> we'll, we'll see how it goes. I don't think he's going to be the one on one. I don't know. I guess landing spot's going to be the probably the biggest determining factor. All right, final out of out of the league question, and ah, no, we're going to go second final because I want to ask a, another question. So, for uh, <laughs> for the, the the next one will be when will you make the playoffs in Pigs one? So for those who don't know about Capitals Pigs and my Capitals Pigs team, uh, we talked about the rolling budget a, a little bit when we were talking about whether the rookie and Debbie and all that stuff rolls over. And in Cap Pigs, uh, every dollar can be used on anything. And so I took this start this startup uh, strategy of basically punting the startup completely, just going after guys in the Debbie auction uh, in later that August, and then you know saving money for the rookie auction and and the Debbie auction in this year. So I ended up having like 10 times the amount of money as everybody else. But as my roster currently stands, I have a legitimate shot at being half decent in 2018. Uh, players that I'll have on my roster in 2018 are Josh Rosen, Saquon Barkley, Dalvin Cook, Royce Freeman, Darius Geis, um, uh, Jake Browning, Sony Michelle, Ty Johnson. All those guys – have possibilities of being, you know, top 15 rookie picks in a, a traditional rookie format. And especially with the running backs, obviously running backs don't take much time to develop. And just a, a backfield of, or, you know, a running back set of Barkley, Cook, and Geis, if you have three RB1s, you're making the playoffs. So I, I'm not going to say I'm going to make the playoffs in 2018 because I think that may be a bit optimistic. I'm going to make the, <laughs> make the playoffs 2019. 2020 is the year I take the title home. Oh, here it is. All right, he called call a shot. 2020 for the title. Wow, I was I was just looking for playoffs because uh, the title in that league. I mean, it's it's a crapshoot. Twenty eight teams. Um, it's uh, you know I, I I hope I win it at some point, but I, uh, winning the title is going to be tough to beat twenty seven other owners. Right now, my my goal is just to get into the playoffs at some point. I don't know. Maybe it's not my goal. I change my mind on a daily basis in that league. It seems like. So uh, final final question then. Uh, what's your, and this isn't the question, but I need to know it to base the question. What's your uh, what's your favorite like comedy sitcom TV show? Uh, it past present whatever. Um, like the show that you just watch over and over and over. Well, this makes me sad because I found out recently that uh, Scrubs is going off of Netflix next month, and I, I have a pretty much a set list of like TV shows like I fall asleep to. It's Scrubs, Friends, and um, and How I Met Your Mother. And so uh, it's going to be really sad the day that I have to take Scrubs out of that rotation. Uh, Scrubs is, you know, the funniest show I've ever watched. And so that would be my top my top sitcom uh, or, you know, top TV show really I've ever watched. All right. So we're, we'll go with a Scrubs-based question then. So uh, – and, and I told you that I – I think I told – well, yeah, I think I put it in the pigs chat that I just started re-binging that. And, oh, my God, it's so good. Kevin Cotillo and I are naming our KS3 team uh, – based on scrubs. I think we're going to end up going with something based on the janitor and the cafeteria guy, Troy. Um, oh, geez. <laughs> well, we don't want to go obvious. We can't go like JD and Turk. I mean, that's, yeah. that, that's, that's too obvious. Um, 
So you got to be a little more, a little more creative. All right. Um, who would make the better commissioner, Kelso, uh, Doctor Cox, or Elliot? I'm gonna go with uh, Doctor Cox. Uh, Kelso, I feel like he'd he'd fall asleep at the wheel. He wouldn't roll over MFL until like May. <laughs> um, Elliot would like freak out if there was ever like ever like a controversial trade. Uh, like you know, people would talk about like collusion or something. Like she's like ah, and then she'd quit the league. Uh, so uh, I think Dr. Cox would have the firm hand uh, of a commissioner and uh, responsible enough to, you know, handle the, the yearly duties. All right. We're, I should have, I should have thrown the janitor in there too. I didn't know you were going to break down how their commissioner styles would be. Uh, what would the janitor's commission style be? His commission style would be uh, the, the minute someone quit, uh, he'd be like, okay, the league's over. Like I can't find a replacement. I, I think he might take the money and you'd never see him again. That's I think I think he might be that commish. He, he'd use it on the brain trust. There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, Nathan, I, I really appreciate you joining me tonight. This was fun. Uh, you know, it's great to talk about leagues. And I think you even mentioned a player. So people got player analysis. Nathan likes Dalvin Cook. Note to self, make sure I don't take Dalvin Cook. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I, I know. I respect It might him. be a good decision for you. That might work out well for you. <laughs> Uh, it might. I don't, I don't know. It depends on where he goes, I think. I think that's how all the running backs are this year. I don't think anybody is a lock until we know where they're going to play. Um, talent is great, but systems can crush talent. See Todd Gurley. So, all right, uh, before we get out of here, give everybody else your information just one more time. At NPALFF on the Twitters, uh, Rotoviz Radio, Dice Tradecast, and pretty much everything else you can find on Twitter. So, Rock and roll. All right. And uh, as for me, folks, you can interact with me. I'm at Empire FFL. Go and rate and review uh, Tradecast. And hey, while you're there, give me a rate and review and, you know, subscribe, share, retweet, all that, all that stuff that helps podcasts grow. It, it's appreciated. You don't know what it actually means. It really does help. Like every time, you know, like you can tell, every time people do things uh, like a retweet or something, other people experience that maybe for the first time and they've never heard of it. So it's very helpful. I appreciate it, Nathan. Thanks for joining me. And uh, everybody else, enjoy the insanity. Corner at five.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.